many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. I think we're live. <laughs> Can't believe it. Oh, God. 2021. So long. I'm so tired of you. I was tired of you when you arrived. I was tired of 2020. I'm tired of 2021. But you know what? What I'm not tired of? The present moment. Because that's all there is. And we're going to spend it together. It's like 622 Pacific time on December 31st, the year of our Lord, 2021. And it's out. And you know why 2021 is such a bitch? Because at the last minute, just to show us that it could, that it was capable of doing what we thought was unthinkable, it took out Betty White. I mean, that says everything, doesn't it? If I threw a party, invited everyone I knew, you would see the biggest gift would be from me. And the card attached would say, F you 2021. Guys, welcome to the show. It's Dr. Z. We're going to talk about stuff live. Come bring your comments, do all that. Let me pull them up here, make sure it's actually happening. There we are. Jana's here and ball boys. Is that an unhealthy beverage I spy? This is a fine bourbon served neat. Mm, mm, mm. Smooth. Um, As Mr. Furley used to say, listen, guys, so... The hallmark of 2021, of course, was this thing that started with a C and ends with a D uh, that I thought, and I'm reviewing my own thinking over the year, right? And we're going to talk about how we make sense because everybody seems to disagree. No one can even agree on facts. We can't even agree on what's real in the world, let alone how to deal with various challenges. Whether there are really challenges at all, people will ask. And Why is that? Like, how do we get into this sense-making crisis where you can get into a bubble, an echo chamber in the world because the world is now run by these? And that echo chamber will tell you what's real, regardless of what's actually happening in the world. So we're going to talk about that. I'm going to talk a little bit about this year in review. So what did I get right and wrong just kind of doing my own introspection? And the thing that pops out at me, the biggest thing that I screwed up this year, among many things I'm sure that I got wrong because I'm an idiot um, and also human and also trying to figure things out as we go as a victim to some degree of the same silos and echo chambers that we're all victimized by and trying to make sense in the world, doing the best we can with as many sources as we can. It's hard. And I call that the alt-middle, trying to make sense across silos and and tribalism and different echo chambers to try to find what's true in each part, but maybe partial and synthesize something, right? So in the early part of the year, when the vaccines came out, saw the early data and said, hey, (laughs) these are great. These are better than our wildest dreams in 2020. I didn't even think we'd get to a vaccine. And I was concerned about the safety of the vaccine because I was worried the whole thing had become politicized, which it had. would FDA rush something through? Would there be problems with antibody-dependent enhancement and these different things, which we've done, we did a bunch of shows on. I talked to Paul Offit. I talked to vaccine experts. We talked to Peter Hotez in the beginning. Um, talked to Jay Bhattacharya. Talked to all kinds of different heterodox and orthodox thinkers. People on the side of, say, the thesis of COVID, which is like, hey, this is a big deal. Like we need to do lockdowns, school closures, vaccinate everybody, mandate masks, um, get to COVID zero as close as we can, not just bend the curve, just make it totally flat. 
and save every single possible life through whatever intervention at whatever cost. That's the extreme thesis side. And then I talked to antithesis guys and gals who were more on the line of, although actually my guys were more synthesis, but the antithesis side saying, no, actually the lockdowns hurt people. COVID danger is overblown. It's less fatal than we think. The vaccines aren't that effective and they aren't that safe. Mandates are a violation of you know human rights and this is an experimental vaccine. Masks don't work. Any shutdowns or government uh, intrusion is just a slippery slope to authoritarian rule and so on and so forth. So some people call the thesis side the COVIDians and the antithesis side the COVIDiots because that's the popular culture's slang and sort of derogatory terms for each. And so I interviewed people on all sides of this thing trying to find a synthesis position. In the early part of the year, what we realized is, oh, these vaccines are incredibly effective against severe disease, incredibly effective 90% plus against infection too, and quite safe. Although there are these reports of myocarditis in younger people, especially in boys, we're seeing it in Israel, but it doesn't look like it's very severe. And then you have these blood clotting phenomenon with the Johnson & Johnson AstraZeneca vaccines that were characterized early on quite rare, but in a particular group, women below 50. And again, quite rare, but when it happens, it's deadly, can be quite deadly. So talking about all those things, hashing it out, but saying, hey, on balance, these things are really tremendous instruments. And I made some predictions then, along with some of my guests that, hey, first of all, and this was pre-Delta, right? So we had alpha variant. First of all, this pandemic is effectively over for anyone who chooses to get vaccinated. And for anyone who doesn't wanna get vaccinated, it'll probably be okay because we're gonna reach some vestige of herd immunity where it, it won't be very high. It'll be like 60, 70% of the population gets vaccinated. And with the natural immunity that it's already happened from the previous winter's wave, we'll have enough collective immunity that we'll be okay. And we don't have to vaccinate every single person and it'll be fine. Um, and we were celebrating. We're like, hey, let's kill the masks entirely. Let's open everything up and we don't have to force vaccine on anyone, right? And here's what I was wrong about. I was wrong about the emergence of Delta and was saying variant, schmariant, and stuff like that. And the truth is, the way, I, the way I look at it is this, if we had 90 to 95% vaccination quickly in the population, then all of that would have been true because you would have obviated the worst severe disease. You would have had a wave of Delta that would have caused a lot of infections, but would not have caused a lot of severe disease, hospitalization, and death. Instead, we didn't even quite get to 50%. And Delta being very contagious tears through 2021, right? And basically infects all the, uh, uh, a lot of the unvaccinated and a lot of people that were at high risk anyways. Even if they were vaccinated, you get some breakthrough infections. We're seeing breakthrough infections. We're like, what's going on with that? Well, the combination of high viral load from Delta, high inoculum, lots of virus with, it turns out, vaccine immunity starts to wane in terms of antibodies antibodies, meaning the, the immediate protection against infection starts to wane, but the memory B and T cell immunity persists and protects against severe disease in like 90 plus percent of people. Now, remember, there's still that 10%, right? The immunocompromised, the elderly, people with many chronic diseases. These people are at risk to begin with, right? So what we saw, and this is I was completely wrong about, Delta was so contagious that it overran any hope of getting to herd immunity with a combination of vaccination and natural infection that was gonna work in the summer and fall of 2021. And so what we saw is, okay, well, here was a variant that just plowed through us and the amount of vaccine hesitancy, which we'll talk about, surprised even me because you didn't see that much vaccine hesitancy with kids' vaccines, but the way that this vaccine has capitalized the whole thing on our echo chambers and our meme tribes, our tribes around ideas that we all are part of knowingly or unknowingly that are weaponized by this, social media, smartphones, mainstream media, click, 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 an economy that runs on outrage porn, right? And generates revenue from clicks and ads and things like that by outraging you with crazy headlines and so on. We're gonna talk about that generated a, a lot of confusion. So now you have a situation where a bunch of people died, probably didn't need to die. Um, Delta tears through. 
And at that point, I made a second prediction, and not a prediction, but a thought. I said, you know, it's going to be really hard to outdo Delta in terms of infection, uh, infectivity, and lethality, because Delta is actually just as dangerous or lethal as, if not slightly more, than the Wuhan original strain and alpha. And I said, boy, it's going to be hard to do that because there's only so much mutational space this virus has to play around with. Well, so I was right and wrong. Omicron pops out of nowhere. It's been around for a while. We just didn't catch it because we're not doing that much screening. South Africans were smart enough to catch it. They were rewarded with travel bans, which worked so well as we predicted. Speaking of stuff we were right about, travel bans were a waste of time. They are. Closing schools, terrible idea. They were. Um, Vaccines work against severe disease. They do. So those things are definitely true. I think on balance, we were pretty rational synthesis position people, but made some big mistakes. And the prediction that, oh, maybe there's not that much mutational space, not correct because Omicron comes. Now, here's where it gets interesting. With Omicron or Omicron or Omicron or whatever you want to call it, right? This Greek alphabet confuses me. I was never in a frat because I wasn't cool enough. Now I need to drink to make up for the fact that I was never in a frat. Smooth. Bourbon, straight. That's the only way to drink it. Um, Omicron has a bunch of mutations on its spike protein, 32 or so, and other mutations throughout the virus. Everything so far says it's hyper-infective. It, it probably replicates you know, some order of magnitude higher than Delta in the upper airways, which means lots of virus to spread causing runny nose, cough, et cetera. And weirdly, night sweats seem to be a thing with Omicron, preliminarily speaking, much less um, loss of smell and uh, that sort of thing. So it's kind of interesting. It's a little bit different than Delta. But it doesn't seem in its preliminary studies they've released to replicate very well in the deep lung, which may explain what we're seeing, which is less severe disease with Omicron, but more cases. So now we're in Delta, we saw a decoupling of cases and severe disease, hospitalization, death in vaccinated people. With Omicron, we're seeing it even more in preliminary stages. So in South Africa, it tore through very quickly, peaked and, and ended, and there wasn't a bunch of hospitalizations, unlike Delta. And some of that was felt because you have some vaccine in South Africa, not that much, but a lot of natural immunity from the previous waves. And there were younger people that were getting infected and those tend to do better in general, right? And so it started spawning this phrase, Omicold or COVID. Are we starting to push finally? Is Omicron with its multiple mutations actually much more infectious, less severe, but more likely everybody's gonna catch it, including some people who've been vaccinated and previously infected because it does tend to reinfect unless you've had a very recent booster but your protection against severe disease is already there. Now, this is where I think one of the better things we talked about this year was how this pandemic turns endemic. And we talked about this pre-Omicron. And we talked about the following, and this, is, this really applies to Omicron very directly. The, the original Wuhan and Delta strains infected a population at a very high rate that was mostly naive to this particular strain of coronavirus, meaning they haven't seen it before. They don't have pre-existing immunity very much, right? Some parts of Asia may have, right? We may have underestimated the first SARS epidemic and there's some T-cell mediated coronavirus immunity there, which may you know, explain a few things about say Japan, et cetera, but, but that's some speculation, right? But once you start getting a degree of natural infection with immunity, you can get reinfections, but they're rare, but you can get them. And with vaccine, same thing. You can get reinfections, but there's this deep, longstanding protection against severe disease that may well be lifelong. We don't know, right? So what ends up happening is you can get reinfected every season. The virus is going nowhere. The ideas of COVID zero are insane because there are animal reservoirs for COVID, which means it's gonna be going back and forth. It is one of our circulating viruses forever, unless we come up with some new technology to eradicate it. It's gonna be there forever. So 
You're not gonna be vaccinating dogs and cats and tigers and ferrets and all this other stuff, right? So bottom line is it's with us, but does it cause severe disease? And the answer is that we talked about in that video from pandemic to endemic is that in most people, it doesn't. Now there's always gonna be susceptible people who get severe disease from a cold, from any virus, from an adenovirus, from a respiratory syncytial virus as an adult, from a lot of different viruses that are part of our seasonal stuff, including influenza, which we have, a, it's very similar now. We have a vaccine that's kind of partially effective at reinfection, but seems to do a reasonable job depending on whether they get the strain right. People have some innate immunity to influenza unless it's a novel strain coming that year, like an H1N1 in 2009. And people do still get sick who are vulnerable, but we don't get mass pandemic level fatality, although each year, you know, tens of thousands of deaths, right? Which is why I like the flu vaccine because it's safe while actually helping with that, it's not perfect, right? And you have to get take it every year, which sucks. So, although they're working on that too. So this shift to turning in a pandemic virus that kills a lot of people, is new to the population, into something that just circulates and we get infected. And, and in fact, it turns out kids don't get that sick in general. So as we start moving forward in time, an endemic virus infects all the children very quickly, especially in the winter, they develop immunity. And then as adults, they're fine. They're already protected against severe disease. They have some immunity from their parents through breast milk, et cetera. And the thing becomes part of our circulating four other coronaviruses that cause colds. Now, Omicron could well be the straw that finally pushes that. Because if you look at the infection curves going into 2022, they're like this, boonk. They're like vertical jumps. This thing is hyper-infectious, right? Which means even people who are vaccinated, even people who've been infected before can get reinfected, but they don't typically get severely ill. People who have not been infected before and who have not been vaccinated, they can get infected and they might do okay. It might be a little less infectious. We don't, I mean, a little less severe. We don't quite fully know that yet. And may, that may not be the case, but they're more likely then to get that severe disease if they're unlucky or if they have comorbidities or if they're older and end up in the hospital. So there's fewer of them because more people are vaccinated and naturally infected now. But when you have Omicron go poof through a population, just it's a numbers game. Every winter hospitals get full, whether it's flu or respiratory syncytial virus or whatever it is. The pediatric hospitals fill up, the adult hospitals fill up. This year is no exception. The difference is we're short-staffed because we burned out all our staff and we're making everybody sick with Omicron and they still have to quarantine, which you don't typically do for like a cold or something like that. You come in, wear a mask, whatever. You know, Ideally, you stay home, but typically that doesn't happen because it's endemic disease. But with this, it's knocking people out, dropping staffing, lowering numbers of beds that we have. And so that's going to put a deep strain on our healthcare system. And I think that's what the public health people are shouting and screaming about. Not that Omicron is in itself more dangerous. And so what's, what's the answer? Well, the answer to that is, <laughs> if you can get vaccinated, you should. If you don't want to, that's cool, but you're just making a choice to take a risk, right? If you're one of the people who's filling up the hospitals because you didn't get vaccinated and so on, you could say, oh, you know, you're a terrible person and it's your fault, or we could treat you like we treat every single other person who makes decisions that the healthcare system disagrees with. For example, drinking too much alcohol with liver disease and all the social problems that come with that, violence, drunk driving, uh, domestic abuse, liver disease, cancers, all the things that are caused by alcohol, um, obesity, smoking, yeah, people do those things. Yeah, they put strain on the hospitals and cost trillions of dollars. But the kind of degree of shaming and madness that we have around this. Now, those things don't all happen all in a winter at once. So there's that, right? But what if we actually just said, hey, how about we really spend some money directly on surge capacity at the times we need it, staff up, pay people well, stop elective procedures during the time that we're doing it and use the power of the economy to generate revenue, tax revenue, that then you make sure the hospitals are okay, which means open the economy, take away these mandates, let people make decisions as adults, educate them and let them do what they're gonna do 
with the best data they have, which we're gonna talk about, and then support the hospitals to surge through it, knowing that our frontline healthcare workers are traumatized, they have PTSD, they're really exhausted, they're treated like crap, and they feel completely undervalued. And if I were them, which I am, uh, there'd be a big part of me that'd wanna just walk away and resign and say, I'm gonna take up what I've always wanted to do, which is X, Y, or Z, because this is no good, right? So how do you get through that? We've done shows on this. So that's another piece of like the great resignation. Like what can we do to reconnect with our authentic us, right? And in healthcare, a lot of these folks went in because they really wanna help people, this is a calling. So give them the tools, resources, and autonomy to do their calling. And then haters gonna hate and players gonna play. Some people are gonna get vaccinated, some aren't. Some people are gonna do stupid things, go to a wedding unvaccinated and dance cheek to cheek to someone and breathe in Omicron and get very sick. Okay, then they did that. Now we have to try to do our best, take care of them in the hospital. So let's shore that up. All right, so that's my take on Omicron. And I think, so what I got wrong this year with the big one was the Delta surge, um, overwhelming vaccine compliance or adherence or uptake and causing a lot of death. That really, um, that was bad, right? Um, and, thinking maybe Delta was the last big variant, but that I didn't, you know, it was more like a speculation, but still, Omicron. But Omicron is tripling down on this idea of pandemic to endemic. Still really, really, really fond of vaccinations, especially for adults at high risk and kids at high risk, right? And we've talked about the nuance around kids' vaccines, myocarditis, talking through these decision points and not shaming anyone because there is no 100% one size fits all answer for any of this. Okay, and that brings me to what I really wanna talk about. So let's do that. Um, Zach Zalas says, our government here dropped the ball, not creating hospital surge capacity. Everyone is paying the price, right? They are. Um, it, it, it really is a mess. Uh, now, again, our healthcare system is designed to work on the margins because it's profit driven. So you have to like have just enough beds when you just need them, otherwise you're paying people to do nothing and that's not profitable. So that for better or for worse, that's how we do medicine in the US. Miguel Ortiz, who's a super chatter says, you're the best. I hope you have a great year, unvaccinated and metabolically healthy, never infected. So Miguel, I hope you're relatively young and metabolically healthy because that'll put you at reasonably lower risk. I, I'll tell you why I'd love to see you vaccinated, but you don't have to there is a reduction in your chance of actually getting infected, which means you will have less chance of actually spreading it. Now with Omicron, all bets are off because it's so contagious, it's spreading everywhere. So any real big top-down public health measures, like saying, Miguel, you gotta get vaccinated to do your part for the community, it's gonna be a drop in the bucket. A bigger thing would be like, hey, anyone who wants to make the individual choice because they're at high risk or whatever, or they're just concerned about it, they don't wanna deal with it, or they're taking care of a loved one who's high risk, get vaccinated, great. Maybe don't do a bunch of risky stuff. If you choose to do that, or maybe do, it's all up to you, but then really, really work on our surge capacity in hospitals. And this is gonna go, it's gonna go poof, poof, is my prediction. And you know how good I am at predicting. Because of the nature of Omicron, it's just that contagious. It just tears through. Brandon Sargent says, hey Z, any direct messages to anti-vaxxers watching who think uh, because you can still catch and spread COVID that the vaccine is pointless? Do you think they underestimate the consequences of long COVID? Okay, that's a great question, Brandon. Um, first of all, it does drop transmission. It does. So by narrowing the window during which you're infectious, and there's data for this, and Marty McCary and Peter and Atia and I talked about this, that show is coming out on Monday, so stay tuned for that. And reducing the likelihood that you get infected in the first place means you're less likely to actually get infected and go around spreading it and all that. So it does do that. Um, long COVID is something I, I just wish we had more data on what that is and whether vaccines actually have a, make a huge dent in long COVID. And I speculate they do, but, that would be like saying, I know what long COVID is, and I don't. And I challenge anyone to tell me they actually do know what long COVID is. Someone who's suffering from it will tell you this is what it feels like, but very few people know what it is, like what's causing it, what, what would prevent it short of never getting infected, right? So that, that's a good way to think about it. And I think the term anti-vaxxer is a tough one. I, I struggle with it now. It's more people who have at this point elected not to get this vaccine for a variety of reasons, which I'm gonna talk about in this second part of the show, 
because I think this is part of the sense-making crisis um, for most people. So, okay, Heart of America FPV says, looking at the case fatality rate, why do you think it's essentially flatlined since before the vaccine was released? Um, well, the case fatality rate, you're not talking about the infection fatality rate, which is of all the people who are infected, even people we don't know they're infected, what's the fatality rate? And that's around 0.2 to 0.3 if you believe a lot of the data. Case fatality rate is people who are actually diagnosed with it, um, how many people die. And that fatality rate, remember, there's push and pull on that, on both actually. Case fatality rate is affected by how deadly the virus itself is, how good the immunity the person has is to it, how big a viral inoculum they got, what comorbidities that patient has, like how sick are they? So if the population's a bunch of fat, diabetic, heart failure people like Americans, then case fatality rate can be higher, right? Than say a very thin, younger population, right? So it's age dependent. So I haven't looked at the case fatality rate to see, oh, is it flat or not after vaccine? So I don't know if that data is correct that you're citing, but I'd say this, there's a third piece, which is how well we treat it. Well, now we have dexamethasone, we have monoclonal antibodies, we now have fluvoxamine, um, we now have molipiravir and Paxlovid, but back then we didn't. So we've gotten better at ICU care, we know when and when not to intubate patients. So a lot has changed in our management it's improved. We've really gotten better in the two years of COVID. So that is, that is one push on why case fatality rates might've even lowered before vaccine, if that's true, right? In fact, I know that is true to some degree because in the early days when um, we were overwhelming hospitals, case fatality rates go up. When hospitals aren't as overwhelmed and we're better at managing it, case fatality rates drop. So it's a dynamic push and pull, but it does not necessarily have to do with changing virulence of the, of the virus itself yet. Although with Omicron, that may change, right? Um, these are very good questions. I'm gonna see if there are any more super chats here because, um, oh, thank you, Helena, for the very generous super chat and the kind words. And Michael Whitbeck, uh, thank you for being a member for 12 months. And Jennifer Lego says, what's your take on increased adverse effects from mRNA boosters. My father now exhibits arthritis symptoms. My mammogram shows a mass. Both of us are otherwise healthy. So this is where, okay, this is where it's really normal human nature. And Vinay Prasad and I talked about this on our VPZD podcast, which if you haven't checked it out and subscribed to it, please do. That's where we really hash out COVID. So Dr. Prasad and I will go through for an hour and a half and just dig into everything that's going on that week in, in the data. and. What, what we talked about in particular is this idea of causation and correlation. So you have a massive vaccination campaign where hundreds of millions of people are getting vaccinated. And then you have the normal things that happen to those hundreds of millions of people statistically in a year. Now, those things are gonna happen to people who've just gotten vaccinated. So it's very easy to be confused as to what's causing, causing this and what's correlated. So. We don't see good evidence when you actually compare populations that are vaccinated and not that the vaccine is causing an increases in cancers and blood clots and autoimmune disease and all the things that people speculate. We just don't because if you look at the background rate of these things, it's not changed. Now, anecdotally, it feels to people that it is because they see the case, they notice the vaccine, they make a connection and humans work that way, right? And we talked about pigeons in B.F. Skinner's behavioral experiments where They'll do, if, you, if you give them a reward intermittently and unpredictably, they'll start doing complex dances that they feel is actually causing the reward to happen. They'll actually invent connections between causation and, and the outcome, right? Even though they're not real. Humans do the same thing. Now, I'm not saying that the vaccine didn't do those things to you because I didn't study you, right? And I didn't look at, at um, uh, you know, I, I'm not doing a study with you looking at that exact condition, right? But if you look at the data we do have, it really doesn't show anything beyond what you would expect in background rate. So that's how you have to think about that. And again, does that mean that we could be missing something? It's possible, but in the whole history of vaccines, every single thing that vaccines have been shown to do has happened within the first two months of vaccine administration, and it's typically been caught. In fact, pretty much has always been caught, right? So look at the myocarditis. That's not a common thing. 
or the um, blood clot associated thing with Johnson and Johnson and AstraZeneca, the the VITT syndrome that they were calling it, extremely rare, and yet we catch it, right? So I do think that um, I'm encouraged by that. Okay, so now what I want to talk about um, before we run out of time, I'm going to take. I need more of this because. This one's painful. All right. 2021, 2020. How many of you guys noticed you are no longer friends with people you were friends with because of their positions online or their positions about the vaccine one way or the other, COVID one way or the other, politics one way or the other, whatever it is, Fauci, um, Biden, it doesn't matter, Trump. How many of you guys have noticed that? Like families kind of not talking to each other. Um, How many of you guys have noticed that people can watch the exact same video, like an interview with Dr. Peter McCullough on Joe Rogan's show, and come to completely divergent opinions about the nature of the world after watching the same video? So people can watch the Peter McCullough video and be like, wow, I see a guy with delusions of grandeur who's... Um, misrepresenting the data, who's confusing correlation with causation, who's citing long-term chronic anti-vaccine activists as scientists, who's making multiple logical fallacies, um, but who has, but, but they won't even admit that he has any good points. They'll just say all that, right? Then you'll have the other side saying, dude, this guy's talking about early treatment. He's talking about how doctors make these mistakes and they really need, uh, they're, they're biased by pharma and government, how these conspiratorial interests are actually pushing for vaccine because it's more profitable for pharma and then citing a bunch of data, a bunch of data, like a bunch of data, blah, 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 this study, that study, this study, that study. Forget about what the studies are saying this is true because this data, right? Why aren't we listening to this guy? We ought to be using hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, not vaccinating because it's not very good, et cetera. These people may have the same education, the same IQ, They may live in the same part of the country. They may be in the same family. They may be genetically twins. Who knows? But they have the abjectly divergent worldview. In other words, they make sense of the world in diametrically opposite ways with the same data input on that video. Why? All right, now this is where it gets really interesting. So... How do we make sense of the world? This is a complex topic, but I'm just gonna distill it down to our New Year's Eve bourbon party. We rely on data inputs. We're like a neuron, like a cell in the brain, each of us. We take inputs from the environment, we do some chemistry, and then we push out information into the world in the form of decisions, in the form of communications, actions, those kind of things. Right? So in the past, it was a very simple kind of world because these neuron cells, us as the neuron, we are an entire entity in ourselves. We're an organism in ourselves, right? We know that. We're independent. We move around. We eat. We drink. We reproduce. We do all those things. It's like a cell. All right? And, and, but yet, a cell in a big organism like this is part of a larger whole of which it only has limited information. So it's getting information from the whole organism and it's putting information out to the organism and it has its own internal environment, right? But it doesn't really know what the organism's doing. It might have some guesses depending on what kind of cell it is, et cetera. A neuron is a good example of that. It's getting inputs from all parts of the brain and it's either exciting or inhibiting other neurons and it's having its own internal chemistry. Well, in the old days, humans were like that. And as a whole in themselves, they're pretty self-sufficient. They know how to navigate. They're not reliant on too much technology. Maybe they have a TV, maybe they have a car, et cetera. It's otherwise a pretty simple thing. And they get their information from the world in the form of a few mainstream media sources, largely, and then local gossip, local news, et cetera, friends and family. And it's pretty simple. And even though there's some variety in the information they're getting, in general, it's reasonably homogenous. So 
two people can largely agree on the state of the world because the information stream is pretty standardized. Whether it's accurate or not is is debatable, but it's pretty standard. And so in general, people have that tension between autonomy and community and what's actually happening in the world. At least they generally tend to agree on a city, state, family, nation level for the most part with some exceptions, obviously, right? Now, what's happened in the last 20 years? So now what we have is the fragmentation of the media. So now you have cable news starting in the 90s with these really outrageous headlines trying to grab attention and generate ad revenue by outraging particular factions of people. So the goal now is not here's, let's provide as much objective truth as we can. It's no, let's really stimulate people's emotions get their dopamine going and get them coming back to watch because they happen to align with the general bias of the outrage porn that we're feeding them, right? And that starts with you know CNN and then Fox and the whole thing just starts to grow. Then you throw on these little devices, which now are like an appendage in our head. Most humans now cannot navigate a map without using the device. They've outsourced that part of the brain, shrunk it, atrophied it and really kind of shrunk it down. And by the way, some of the stuff that I'm talking about has been talked about in the sense-making community by people like BJ Campbell, um, David Fuller, and others in, in that sort of community. David Fuller hosts a podcast called Rebel Wisdom, who turned me on to BJ Campbell's writing about this. And so now you have, anybody can go and create information, put it out into the, the collective consciousness and compete in a, in a market of ideas for dominance. And what happens is people gravitate then based on their predilections to different tribes in these marketplaces. And that gravitation is influenced by two things. The algorithms like Google, YouTube, Facebook, those kind of algorithms that they can detect kind of what you're into and start feeding you stuff, or they just decide you're gonna be into this. I mean, how uncanny is the YouTube suggested videos feed? How uncanny sometimes is it that you see ads that pop up on Facebook? And by the way, they're listening to your voice because of Siri and Alexa and Google Voice and all this stuff. So don't think they're not gathering all this data about you. They know everything about you. So the algorithm is one thing, that determines, okay, what tribe are you in? What echo chamber will we put you in, right? And then the second thing is your own decisions. So your own predispositions that are then also molded, it's a feedback loop between what the algorithm's telling you to watch and what you become interested in. And it starts to narrow your field of view to I am this. Yeah, I'm a you know, social justice activist who you know thinks we should be much more woke and so on. Or, I'm a QAnon believer who thinks like Trump's election victory was stolen from him. Now, in that tribe, that belief is reinforced by recurring information, by you hitting like and affecting the algorithm. So you're actually contributing to the algorithm with your own behavior on social media and your own little outrage headline. Can you believe these guys are doing this? And off it goes. Now, what's the net result of that? Hundreds of tribes, right, of people whose the goal of the tribe is to survive in the, in the marketplace of ideas and actually steamroll all the other tribes. It's not to find truth. It's to win this culture war in this war with different culture tribes. And it's all potentiated by an addictive dopaminergic process. Your smartphone, social media algorithms, Facebook, et cetera, Twitter, all of these things that reward this kind of outrage. And in this point, <clears throat> what emerges from this bunch of humans in each tribe is a bigger mind, a bigger mind that they don't have access to. They're a part of it, but they don't really see what it's doing. And that big mind, this emergent phenomenon of these little neurons interacting, sharing data with each other in a, in a bubble, in an echo chamber, that mind actually feeds back to them. And so when that mind experiences data from the outside world, it immediately filters it through perceptual filters and feeds it to the subsequent neurons, us. 
in a way that we go, oh yeah, Fauci's insane, or oh yeah, Fauci's a god, we should listen to him, or oh, you're a COVID idiot, oh, you're a COVIDian. It becomes reality. And so two rational people can disagree 100% on vaccines because in one tribe, vaccines are a politicized agent of government control that's dangerous and run by pharma and government. In another tribe, vaccines are a way to protect against a terrifying, deadly disease that's gonna kill your grandma and probably kill your child because that's their bubble, right? The COVIDian bubble. And so both become absolutists about vaccines. So this is why really good people who just happen to have different predilections, different moral palettes about stuff, become sworn enemies they're part of different mimetic tribes. They're different organisms that are fighting for survival in a new evolution that's run by this. We're plugged into it. We are non-player characters, NPCs in this video game played by emergent phenomenon that are beyond our understanding and our control directly individually that are facilitated by big tech companies unintentionally to make a lot of money. So they're rewarded to do it. And that's the world we're in. That's why we make no sense at all. Now, if you actually talk to human beings, if you actually talk to them and you go, hey, one-on-one, -on -one, let's have a little conference here, friends and family and stuff. And look, let's get off the internet for a minute. Um, doesn't it seem like there's some synthesis position here, like some alt middle where everything's a little true, but partial, like vaccines aren't a one size fits all. We do believe in personalized medicine. There are downsides, but they are remarkable at protecting against severe disease and people who need that protection should definitely get it. And others probably should get it just to avoid infecting those other people, even though the risks are smaller and the benefit is smaller to that population. It's a internal community or autonomy decision versus a community decision, but on balance, it maybe it weighs out for some people, but not everybody. And let's give people the individual choice to do that, which means let's support our structures to take care of sick people. Let's stop using shaming language. Let's make sure our economy is robust. So let's have a real policy discussion. Does it make sense to close schools? Does it make sense to, um, you know, what, what kind of testing should we be doing? Those, and, and if you talk to people one-on-one, -on -one, they'll go, yeah, yeah, you know, actually that seems reasonable. I think there is a silent majority of people in this country that are alt-middle thinkers. They just don't get to show it. They get reprised for doing it and they get sucked into silo bubbles, meme bubbles, tribe bubbles that don't reward that behavior and exclude them. And so they have to play that game and they're influenced by it. So that's the existential threat in 2022 to our sense-making and our cohesion as a society. And we've made it worse because if when one mimetic bubble dominates the culture, the public culture, let's say we'll call it the COVIDian bubble, and they exclude or marginalize the other bubbles. Those bubbles feel like they're under existential threat. So what do they do? They gear up, right? Meaning they are going to fight tooth and nail to protect what they believe is the truth. So they're doing the right thing according to their moral compass. And, and, and this is why we really need to start to break through these tribal uh, barriers and start forming neuronal connections that are much more complex across those, which means we have to think about what to do with these, right? Let me, let me grab a question or two. Um, yeah, David Brown says, hey, I'm just someone who asks a lot of questions on both sides. Perfect. That's exactly what we need to do. That neuron is looking for input from all different neurons. Brandon says again, uh, Kay Dizzy, uh, did you, did you myocarditis is often a temporary condition that happens more when getting the flu than the COVID vaccine? Uh, I guess he means, did you know? Um, I'm not sure about rates of myocarditis with flu, but that's, if you look at viral myocarditis in a typical year, flu will infect hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, usually millions of people get flu, influenza. And if, you, if viral, viral myocarditis rates are X, just by a sheer numbers game, you're gonna have more myocarditis from influenza than you are from COVID vaccine. So that's a good point. But that doesn't change the fact, right, Brandon, that you're right. Like both my kids, 10 and 13, are fully vaccinated, right? There's no boosters for them yet, thank God. Um, but they're fully vaccinated. 
because I did that calculation and said, oh, you know, it's it's not a concern of mine and I don't want them getting infected and being out from school and so on. And I don't want them infecting my parents who are vulnerable and fully vaccinated and boosted. But what about the 13 year old boy who had COVID, who's in a higher risk category for myocarditis. Myocarditis still gets you hospitalized 80 some odd percent of the time. Um, why wouldn't you say get him one dose of the vaccine since his risk of reinfection is already so small and a single dose is enough based on some data? Why not space the doses out? Because that might lower the risk of myocarditis and improve your actual immune response. Um, so those kind of, or let him be. Consider his natural infection to be protective against severe disease, which it is. So that's where I think people struggle. That's where if you're in one mimetic tribe and you're like, yeah, see, that's true about myocarditis, but you're not seeing what the other folks believe, you can't even talk to them because they don't think you've even heard what their point is. I see Rogan struggling with this. When he talks to Sanjay Gupta, he's like, Sanjay, but you see what I'm saying, right? Like, I'm saying this, and you're not even hearing what I'm saying. You can't even, it almost seems like you don't understand what I'm saying. And the truth is, I don't think Sanjay did at that time. Um, but, you know, Sanjay's got, reasonably good intentions. Joe Rogan's got reasonably good intentions, right? They had a three hour conversation. It wasn't an unreasonable conversation. So you have to do that, right? And you have to come from a, an understanding that the other person has good intent, which I think a lot of us don't have because again, our hive mind says they don't, but our actual intuition says, man, if they're human, if I could actually sit with them and talk with them, I'd realize they're a pretty good person, right? Most of the time. Eternal Trick says, what's your opinion on businesses mandating masks for the staff, but making it optional for customers? You know, I understand their position. They're saying, well, if staff can actually prevent an infection among themselves, they're less likely to be short-staffed. There's perception among certain public that if the staff aren't masked, then they're putting customers at risk. So there's like a PR, like customer service angle. So it's actually a little nuanced. Now, do the masks work? Well, this is where it becomes tricky. What kind of mask? In what situation? Is it fit well? Are you wearing it? What's the rate of coronavirus in the community at the time? All those things will, will contribute to that. And we still don't have wonderful data. We have some data, but it's kind of like conflicting. So who knows, right? But mandates are tricky because you're saying to people, okay, I'm, I'm gonna make you do this based on some data and, what, and what's the cost? Right, so that's what you have to ask. Now with masks with adults, the cost generally isn't that bad, right? With kids, it's debatable, like are you affecting speech and learning and that kind of thing, and kids are always pulling them off and all, that's why we talk about kids and stuff. But honestly, like with Omicron, I think all our public health stuff adds up to about this much when you have that contagious of virus, and it's really individual action. It's really get vaccinated so you don't clog up a hospital, maybe avoid the big concert or party if you are at risk or you're around people who are at risk and let it burn through and then support the hospitals. So listen, I, I've said this before. I'm gonna say this one more time because I think it's important going into 2022. I can't believe it. Um, and I, I gotta take a drink. God damn it. That's good bourbon too. Ah, smooth. Um. We are at a point in the pandemic where each American has the tools. And I'm notice I say Americans because we screwed the rest of the world by focusing so much on boosters and all of this and not actually getting the vaccines out to the places where the variants emerge. Um, every American has the tools and the resources to protect themselves from COVID if that's what they wanna do. So in other words, they can wear an N95 or KN95 mask. They cannot go to certain things and work from home if they can, and if they can't, they can wear those masks. They can wash their hands, they can socially distance as much as they can. There's some essential workers who can't, don't have these luxuries, but in general, most people do, and they can get vaccinated. They can get vaccinated. So they have the tools to protect themselves against infection and in severe disease. All of us have those tools now. People with immunocompromised, people who are very medically frail, who even if they're vaccinated and boosted are gonna be in trouble. Well, those people are in trouble every single day they're alive. 
They are. It's sad. It's terrible. We should, as a society, do our best to protect them, but we cannot um, destroy fabric of society for the few very most vulnerable because then they'll be more vulnerable because you have economic harm, you have social harm, and you have mental health harm, which I'm gonna talk about. So we now have all those tools. Why are we mandating anything? Teach people, break down the silos, stop using inflammatory language, give people the, the education that, that, that's available the best they can in a non-judgmental way, like we do for HIV, like we do for STDs, that kind of thing. People who wanna do it will do it. People who don't, don't. Shore up the hospitals for the people who fail at. And believe me, they'll learn their lesson if they're high risk and they don't get vaccinated and they behave in a way that is rather reckless. They will get sick, potentially. And maybe they'll be fine because the infection fatality rate, case fatality rate is still low. But if they're not, they will learn their lesson. And that's individual responsibility at this stage in the pandemic. Like early on when there's no vaccine, okay, I get it. But now, <clears throat> and even then I didn't get it that much. But now it's like, it's quite clear. So stop mandates, stop restrictions, open the economy, get the economy going, allow people freedom, let kids go to school. They can wear masks or not, whatever they want, vaccinate them or don't. It's up to the parents, up to the individual risk choices and shore up and keep working on therapeutics, better vaccines, whatever you want. And that's it. And this thing becomes endemic. So that's what I think we ought to be doing. I've been saying that, um, but now it's quite clear that, and I said this in the spring, right? The thing is people just didn't wanna get vaccinated. But even then, some hospitals got overwhelmed, but most didn't. A lot of healthcare workers burned out, worked really hard. A lot of people died. This is a pandemic, right? I've said before, back of the envelope calculation, there's about 1.4, 1.5 million Americans who would lose their lives if you just let it rip and did nothing based on the infection fatality rate as we think about 0.3 or so, <clears throat> 0.2.3. So how many have we lost? 800,000 plus. So how many are there to save? Well, that, that difference right? 600 odd thousand, half a million people. So those are the people who are, if they're at high risk, they should get vaccinated. The elderly, they should get boosted, right? Other people, let them make decisions and let's stop this other stuff. And I'll tell you why, because this is the last thing I want to talk about. Um, We've wrecked, remember I talked about we're individuals and part of a whole, and that whole feeds back to us in both obvious and not obvious ways. So we're part of a hive mind, and that hive mind does control us, believe it or not, and it's often imperceptible. So good people now, you see them behave in ways that you're like, God, you're so blind, what's wrong with you? You know, like really smart people. Uh, you see them, you know, in the intellectual dark web. You see these people that are that are super smart, that have always been very alt middle thinkers, and now they're just down whatever rabbit hole, one or the other, right? And you're like, what happened? Well, they're the victims of the same bubble meme tribe stuff as everybody else, but they're not seeing it, or if they see it, they choose to ignore it, or they say, oh well, it's not me, because there's a degree of hubris or blindness. Isn't that Greek tragedy hubris, which is arrogance, ate? which is blindness. So now because of your arrogance, you're blind to what happens, and then nemesis, which is downfall. So this hive mind feeds back to us. So what does it do to kids? Now there was recently a New York Times opinion piece by a pediatric psychiatrist. And what he's seeing is what I hear from pediatricians, doctors, therapists, psychologists, Dr. Zoffness who's been on my show many times, all around the country. They are seeing a pandemic of mental illness, anxiety, depression, substance abuse, suicidality in children since pandemic. And it was already rising before that because of what we do to kids with this. So they're now part of these mimetic tribes, right? And imagine what bullying is like for a young girl when the whole tribe, the whole hive mind bullies her at once, both perceptible and imperceptible. Holy crap, right? So this hive mind of fear that say the thesis position has set up um, has caused untold devastation. So 
when Omicron comes through, kids are having panic attacks. Kids are freaking out that they're gonna die they're, because they're saying, oh, kids, more kids are ending up in the hospital. Yeah, duh. When you infect every single kid who isn't vaccinated, more kids are gonna end up in the hospital just statistically, even though it's rare for kids to get that sick. If they have comorbidities especially, they could end up in hospital. So this is just what the news will do then is they'll say first Omicron death in the United States. Well, he died with Omicron, not necessarily from Omicron, but that's not what the hive mind feels. So now these kids are melting down, right? And we're generating a generation of super fragile, traumatized children. Man, we used to sit in the back of the station wagon with no seatbelt bouncing around on dirt roads. These kids think that a virus with an infection fatality rate of not for kids, I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? I'm hyperbolizing. With barely anything for kids is going to kill them or they're gonna infect their grandma and kill grandma, even though grandma's double vaccinated and boosted and wears a mask in the house. We are, what are we doing, right? And by we, I mean this collective hive mind, but it starts with media. It starts with these talking head doctors. I'm one of them, right? Although I'm hoping, I'm hoping that what I'm trying to create is an alt middle hive mind which I do think is a silent majority in the United States. Of course, every single political tribe claims itself to be the silent majority, but we're not a political tribe. We're a way of thinking tribe, a sense-making tribe. Our only belief that we will never let go of is the belief that you should always hold your beliefs loosely and discard beliefs that are no longer serving you or seem to be wrong based on new data. So you can have strong convictions, but hold them loosely and let them go if they're wrong. That's the central premise of the alt-middle, right? And that there's truth everywhere, but it's always partial. You're always trying to approach this asymptote of whatever reality is. You'll never get there, so you gotta take little bits here and there and assume good intent unless they really show you directly that, they're, that they don't have good intent, like they're a psychopath, a criminal, or you know some other entity like that. In general, that's not true, right? Um, yeah, Cheryl, we, Sherry, we need that alt-middle hive mind. That <laughs> sounds kind of terrifying, actually. Um, Jimmy C says, agree, the alt-middle is the silent majority, which needs to start speaking out. So how do we potentiate that in 2022? Well, first of all, you have to recognize whatever mimetic tribe, whatever echo chamber and silo you're stuck in in these culture wars, what Peter Limbaugh from the Stoa calls culture wars 2.0. What tribe are you in? How do you transcend the bonds of that and say, reach your dendrites out to other parts of the universe and get information and synthesize it instead of thesis, antithesis, evil, good, evil, good, good, evil, whatever you believe. What's the synthesis? What's the integral hypothesis, right? And keep iterating, change your mind. If you can't change your mind, that's another thing. If you meet someone and you say, and they say like, you know, Peter McCullough comes up and says, hey, these vaccines are poisonous or hydroxychloroquine works. And you ask him, hey, so what data could I show you that would convince you otherwise? And if he says nothing, this is absolutely fact based on the data I have, nothing would change my mind. Walk away right then, right? Because that's someone who is, whose identity is derived from belief, belief, not truth, belief, that's a good litmus test for 2022. Dizzy 21 hit me with some Canadian money, which is no good here, except that it is. Hey, Big Z, what's your outlook on 2022 and the world's COVID response? Do you think we're reaching the end of the tunnel or will we see more of the same? All right, well, you know, I said this last year. I'm like, yeah, we're reaching the end of the tunnel. I said it in 2020. So my predictions for reaching the end of the tunnel are bullshit, but I'll say this. I'm gonna say this and I'm gonna say it clearly. The tunnel is reached when you decide it is. We're at that stage in the pandemic. There are parts of this country that don't think there's a pandemic anymore and they behave that way and they're perfectly happy. Their hospitals may be busy, but they don't care. They're gonna continue to live their lives. Now, what's the upside? Less mental illness, less social fabric destruction, better economic health, less wasteful mask throwing everywhere. Um, 
go on and on and on and on and on. Kids that aren't masking in schools and are living normal lives and getting education and so on, um, you know, unless they're high risk or something. That's that's it. So it, it's over when we decide it's over. It's already endemic, right? That doesn't mean it's not going to be tough. It doesn't mean that health healthcare workers aren't going to suffer too, because they are, and they tell me about it. Believe me, I know it. Um, but if you look at like a highly vaccinated area, like say San Francisco Bay Area where I am, really n people's sphincter tone is through the roof. Like they're triple masked and walking around like zombies, largely because there's mandates too. But I'll tell you, when they took the mask mandates away in the spring and I was like, that's it, end of mask. I was never wearing a mask again, walking in everywhere. I was the only person not wearing a mask. The hive mind in the Bay Area is the thesis COVIDian hive mind. So it's almost like, it was almost like immune cells came to attack me for not wearing a mask, even though it wasn't the law. In other words, I didn't have to. And there were signs saying, you don't have to wear a mask if you're vaccinated, which was great. That, that lasted about three weeks. But the point being, this area with its high sphincter tone has not that many cases, not that much death. They do pretty well. So they pay, it pays off in the form of less of that. But as a policy decision, some communities may say, you know, we're more concerned with not being insane. We don't have the resources and the infrastructure of the Bay Area to support the kind of crap we're asking people to do, this zoomocracy stuff. We're gonna to continue to live our lives and pay the price with the higher mortality rate, but it's okay, we're okay with that. It's not okay, but we're okay with that trade-off. Well, they can do that. That's the great thing that all, all politics, all healthcare is local. Um, that's why I really do, on a, on a alt-middle basis, have a understanding of, but also a disagreement with a lot of the heavy-handed top-down mandates that happen. I understand why they're there. I think there's good intention, but I disagree that they're a good way to win hearts and minds in particular, which is part of this, if you're creating a new hive mind, <laughs> an alt-middle hive mind. Sarah and Kyle, uh, have you seen any studies looking at menstrual irregularities related to the COVID vaccine? There is an ongoing funded funding approach or study by NIH looking at this because it's entirely possible that a very immunogenic vaccine like Pfizer and Moderna can cause short-term menstrual cycle irregularities. They don't seem to affect fertility, but they do seem to affect a period or two, which is not, when you look at the female hormonal axis and all of that, it's quite complex and the immune system interfaces with it. So it's not surprising that that's a possibility, but they need to study it and they do need to take it seriously and they need to stop blowing off women who complain of it. They need to listen to them and say, yeah, it's possible they're studying it, but the good news is we haven't seen untoward long-term effects from this, right? Um, all right, all right, all right. I think we did a thing. We've gone about an hour. I'm gonna let you guys go to enjoy your New Year's. I can't believe 1,400 people are watching on New Year's Eve. That's great. I feel like Dick Clark, but bald and alive. I just found out Dick Clark died. World blown. I was like, what? Like Betty White. And then I was like, well, at least Dick Clark's alive. Nope. He died too. What's a Gen Xer supposed to do, man? It's like first the Golden Girls. Now what? Now what? Um, all right, guys, listen. Do me a favor though, for 2022, we're gonna build this alt middle hive mind, but it's not a hive mind. It's a, it's a individual collective hybrid that is gonna seek reasonable truth by loosely holding our beliefs, questioning them, and trying to find truth across the silos. It's gonna be the first meta tribe. I used the word meta, that was a terrible idea. Zuckerberg's ruined that effing word for me. For life. All right, guys, I'm gonna get back to my family. They're watching Dance Moms in the other room. Um, that Maddie, though, she's a star. All right, guys, do me a favor. Become a supporter of the show, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. That funds us so that we don't have to rely on sponsors and ad revenue and all that other stuff to pay our salaries on our team and do all of that. And, you know, hookers and blow. I need it. You need it. Help us get it. Supporter Tribe, if you wanna make a one-time donation, go to paypal.me forward slash ZDogMD and make a donation and leave a comment and I respond to every single one of those by a personal email. Um, so if you want me to respond, that's now don't ask me medical advice there because there's no amount you can pay me by PayPal that will allow me to violate my ethical standards and give you individual medical advice without being your doctor, which I, this is all informational. None of this is individual medical advice. I have to say that for the lawyers. Um, 
and share the video and be a part of our tribe and subscribe to the VPZD show on your favorite podcast platform. You can go to zdogmd.com forward slash podcasts and find them there. Uh, it is the number, it's always in the top 10 science podcast in the US since we launched it just seven episodes ago. And I'm really proud of it. It's the kind of conversations I like to listen to, which means you'll probably hate it. Check it out. I love you guys. Happy New Year. I'm out of booze. There's just like, mm, one drop left. Be safe tonight. Don't drink too much. Or if you do, make sure you're responsible. Someone's driving you. You're safe. You don't choke on your own vomit like Jimi Hendrix. Um, and we are out. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I want to hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.